Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. This morning we are concluding a series that was started just a couple weeks ago entitled, This Is My Story. And uh, we've talked a number of things throughout the last couple weeks, but we started with my story was created by God, and then last week we went into my story was bought with a price. Today we're going to talk about how our story, the story that God has given to each and every one of us that knows Jesus Christ as our Savior, has sent us on a mission or should sends us on a mission. And so as we get into this, uh, we're going to discuss a number of different things. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 for the bulk of our service this morning. But what we believe and how we behave must always go together. What we believe and how we behave must always go together. You know, there's a number of religions that are around the world that are often on news and different things of that nature, and you can talk to some of them that you may go to work with that believe and have other faiths, and there's a number of things that we see and hear on a regular basis, and you would never question that they behave the way that they believe or what they believe. We watch it. We're in the middle of a, in essence, a world war based on terrorism. You don't doubt what those people believe because of the way in which they behave. We don't have any question in our minds. And if you do, let me encourage you. There should be no question in your mind what they believe as to why they're doing what they're doing. There should be no question in people's minds around us the way that we behave because of what we believe. And as we go through this morning... One of the things that I love about reading some of the different passages and the different letters of Paul that he has written is that so many times he takes the duty and he connects it together with the doctrine of God's word, which is the application that we should take into our lives every day. He'll take a principle or he'll take a, an action, you and I's actions, or at those times it was his action or the actions of the, the church at the, whatever one he was writing to, and, and he puts action to it, but he, he makes it and he takes a doctrinal belief and he takes a doctrinal fact or truth and he ties those two together to allow them to have practical application in their lives. I said it wasn't, it wasn't too long ago I made the reference. The more that we can understand and the better that we can understand doctrine in our lives, the better and the more we will live out our Christian lives to serve God in a daily basis. If you are like me, there was a, a number of years ago that I used to basically be one of those guys, well, here's, here's what I need. Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again, and he's given me everlasting life. And, and a lot of that doctrinal stuff, those are just big theological words that are kind of over my head. And I'm just too simple to really understand and know what that is. That was me not too long ago. But the more that I begin to study God's Word, and the more that I take God's Word in, and the more that I read it, and the more that I read it, and the more that I read it, and the more that I begin to know Christ, the more that I know the doctrines of God, the better that I know Him, the better that I can serve Him, and the better that the applications in my life begin to live out in my life. Because we have many people that sit in chairs all across this country today that will say, yes, Jesus Christ died for me. Yes, he rose again. Yes, I have salvation. Yes, I'm okay and I'm on my way to heaven. But there's no doctrinal understanding of what took place in their life. And a lot of times, myself included, I liked to think, wow, I understand that Jesus died for me and he died for you and he loves us and, and that's what we need. No. It has to go deeper than that in our lives with God. Our walk has to get deeper than that. And so as we go in through this morning and as we look at these things, the more that we can apply and take the duty or the application of God's word by understanding the doctrines and the principles of God's word, we put those two together, the better and the, the, 
the more real your life and your Christian life will become. Because I'm beginning to know him. See, if I just say to you, I, I know my wife. Her name is Mindy Jones. She came from Ravenna, Ohio. And she played basketball and she ran cross country in high school. And, and when we met in junior high at church, when, and I can go through all of the different just generics about who my wife is. And I can say, yeah, I know who she is. But then you're going to ask me those questions. Well, what does she like to eat? What, is she, what, what makes her tick? What are things that put a smile on her face? When you go to a restaurant, do you know what she wants to drink? Those are things as you get together and as you get to know whether it's your spouse or a friend or whatever it would be, you begin to know who your spouse is. There's times that she'll say, Aaron, what do you think of this outfit? And I'll say, it looks fine. And I'll say this, but I know you're going to take it off because you feel uncomfortable in it. Why? Because over time, I know my wife. She, to me, she looks just fine in the outfit. But it's a little bit out of her comfort zone of style, so I know that she's not going to really feel comfortable wearing it. You say, well, what does that have to do with anything in the sermon? Here's what it has to do with. I have spent time with my wife. I know the things of my wife. When I spend time with God, I begin to know the doctrines. I begin to know the truths. I begin to know who he is. Therefore, my life, I live it differently. Paul takes the duty of, of a Christian and he takes the doctrine and he mends those two together so many times throughout his, his writings and his letters. And this morning, we are going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. We're going to look at a few different things that, that make us take a serious look at what we say we believe and then begin to put some of these things in action. Because here's what all of us can do as a believer, and we oftentimes do this, and we can take out Matthew, and we can go to Matthew, and we can say, well, we've got the Great Commission, and, and we're to go, and we're going to, to reach people for the cause of Jesus, and, and hey, we need to go, and, and I'll tell you this all the time, there's the little cards on your seat, take those, and give them to somebody at a restaurant, or do something with those things, and invite somebody to church, and go and be Jesus to somebody this week. I believe that this sermon this week, hopefully, along with the sermons that we've done over these last few weeks, will enable us to take the story that God has given to us. We've talked about some of our stories, being good and bad. We've talked about some of those things. People are embarrassed by the stories that they have, and I wish I didn't have this past, and I wish I didn't have that, and I wish if I would have had to do it again, I would have changed this and all of those things, and we all have that in our past. But as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, I believe with all of my heart we can look at our story from the very beginning. God created the story that we have. He took us and He formed us in the womb as we read in, in Psalm 139 that He created us. He knows our, our sittings and our, our, coming, our risings and our laying downs. He knows the things that are before they're on our tongues. He knows what we're about to say. He knows our thoughts. He knows everything. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Then we talked last week that, that we were bought with a price and that Jesus came down and he paid the penalty for the sins that we have and that we've committed. He's paid for your story. The struggles that you have, those things he's paid for. He's asked us to simply give it to him, lay it at his feet and say, here I am, I can't do this anymore. He bought us, he paid the price. Why? So that we could go and do something for him, and we'll talk about that this morning. If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. We'll start reading in verse number 17 this morning. If you don't have it, it will be on our screen, because this one decided to not work this morning. If you've been around Oasis for any period of time, we get screens for about two to three months, and then one of them has to go out for two or three weeks, and uh, so... This is our two or three weeks right now. So uh, we had a backup light bulb and everything, and it didn't work either. So, well, it did for like 10 minutes. So we have a screen. Hey, but you know what? 
You know they had church without screens for hundreds of years. Isn't that pretty wild? And without like movie lights and act, you know, all that stuff. It's pretty wild how that works. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us. I want you to really keep a hold of this, this verse line right here. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray this morning. Father God, I thank you for the day that you've given to us. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray this morning that we would take a hold of it, that we would, uh, Lord, as, as you say in Timothy, that we would be pierced. Father, that your word would be a, a double-edged sword in our lives and that we would apply it, that it would, that it would pierce us. Father, that you would be glorified in the service today. In Jesus' name, amen. In those few verses, I don't think it's very difficult for any of us to read that and pick out one key word in those verses from 17 through 21. There's one word that is mentioned over and over and over within that passage of Scripture there, and it's the word reconcile. In some way, shape, or form, that word is, in those uh, few verses, it's mentioned at least five times. Paul was writing, and, and, and as we look at this, this thought, here's what is, is really kind of amazing if we really stop and think about that. In order for there to need to be reconciliation, there has to be a problem. If me and my wife are not in an argument, we don't need to reconcile. We're doing okay. If you and the person beside you, is, there's no beef between you, so to speak, then there's no need to be in reconciliation. Paul knew that there was needing, that we needed to have reconciliation. There is a problem between you and I and God that needs to be reconciled. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture and we begin to think of that word and, and what reconciliation or to reconcile is, it is assuming that there is an enemy or that there is a problem. It doesn't need to take place unless there is some form of angst or a fight or an enemy between at least two people. And this passage of Scripture tells us that you and I as believers in Christ have been given to the ministry of reconciliation. We have been given to the ministry of reconciliation. Some of you are looking at me like cross-eyed right now. See, when I've said in the past, or when we look at these things and we take the little cards that are sitting on the chair right in front of you, or, or you're sitting on them, or whatever it would be, when we take those, and at the end of a service, or at the beginning of the service, I say, hey, take this and go invite somebody to church. Here is our life, and here's what we are supposed to be about. We are about the ministry of reconciliation. So if I am doing my job as a believer in Christ, everything that I do, all day, every day, one, my actions should follow my beliefs. But in the practice of my actions following my beliefs, when I were to give this to somebody or even take this out of the picture, I were just to go talk to somebody and just love on somebody, just have a conversation with somebody, my whole goal, my whole life's ambition, everything that you and I should be about is the ministry of reconciliation. Why? Because here's the reality. And Caleb, you sat on the front row. I'm sorry. Caleb, if Caleb does not know Christ as Savior, has a problem between him and God. My job, it says in 2 Corinthians, is what? That I am made to be what? To be in the ministry of reconciliation. My job is to do everything within my power, within my being, to take Caleb 
Not beat him over the head, not be rude, not be any of those things, but in love and let Caleb know there is a God who died for you, who wants to take your sins and wants to reconcile your difference with him, and he wants to fix that problem. That is our job. In a nutshell, we could say amen and go home. No, that's what we're called to do at least according to this passage, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And so as we look at this and, and we go even a little bit further, if we go on down, and I'm, I'm going to get into my uh, sermon before I get into my points, but if we go a little bit further, it says that we are what? We are ambassadors. Well, part of being an ambassador is that I, as an ambassador, am going to a foreign place. I am now moving into an alienated area of my life. We have ambassadors all around the world from the United States that represent the U.S. in an alien nation, in an alien place, in a foreign place, and they do one thing. They represent the government, and they represent us in a sense of doing what? Trying to keep the peace. Trying to keep things so that we can have a working order and all of these different things. So what am I? I am an ambassador to Jesus Christ. I am here working in an alien place. I am an alien in a foreign land. What is the song says, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. The treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue, right? So we look at those things and we think, okay, I am an ambassador. I am here as a foreigner in this world called earth. For you and I, it's in the country of the United States of America. For you, it's in Netherlands. We have Netherlands people with us. Awesome. So, <laughs> um, but for all of us, it's in the United States, more in specific. It's in Nevada, even more specific, Las Vegas, even more specific to your address. You are an ambassador here. To do what? To go to your neighbors, to go to the people around and make them and understand, hey, my job is to do the ministry of reconciliation as an ambassador in this country, in this world that I'm here for. And guess what? I don't know if Caleb knows Jesus or not, but I'm going to do my best to share Christ with him because we as people have a problem. We have an enemy. When we came to this earth, when we came to this earth, we came as sinners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have a problem. And you and I as believers are here to be a part of reconciling those who do not know with the one who made an opportunity to be reconciled with. And so this morning, I hope I didn't get too much in and lose all of this, but this morning... We're going to look at a number of different things throughout this passage of Scripture, and most of it's actually going to be a little bit before what we read. But as we go through and we look at a couple things, if you go back to verse number 11, and I will get to my points this morning. In verse 11 it says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciousness. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. In verse 13, For whether we beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. When we look at this passage of Scripture, again, talking about the story, the story that you and I have as a believer is that it would send us on a mission. Well, why do I feel that I have to go be sent on a mission? What is my mission? Listen, I can tell you guys to go do a number of different things, but if you don't really know why it is, maybe you're different than me, but if you don't know why it is, you're kind of going, eh, not so much. I'm okay sitting right here because none of this makes sense. I'm one of those people. I want to know why I'm doing it and figure out. I want, to have to, I want to get some understanding of what's going on before I go crazy doing something. So I, when we look at this, why would we, 
our, our story sends us on a mission. Why? How? What does this look like? Why would I go crazy? Why would I be sent on this mission? And what am I going to do about it? Most of us in this room, maybe you're different than me, but a lot of even what I read this week, it was one of those, wow, hello, Aaron. Not only are you an ambassador, I've always known that. We, most everybody in this room would say, yes, I'm an ambassador for Jesus. But what does that mean? We would know what an ambassador is, but here's what we miss out on. We're an ambassador doing the ministry of reconciliation. We miss out on I, Here, you may be better than I. I missed out on that a lot of my Christian life. That I'm really here as, a, as an ambassador, but an ambassador doing the ministry of reconciliation. Because people need Jesus. We might just say that, yeah, people need Jesus. No, here's why. There's a problem here and here. It's called reconciliation. It needs to happen, and that's my job. My job is to go share with you God, the Holy Spirit's job is to work in our hearts or their hearts or whatever it is, and he fixes that issue. But I have to be the person that's going and informing and giving all that. And so as we look at this, it says, knowing therefore the the terror of the Lord, the fear of God. One of the things that we have to think and understand is, I'm doing this because I fear, I reverence, I am in awe. I am in honor of God. Why would I go and be a part of all of these things? Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, because I know that, I would then go and persuade men. I would go and reach men. I would go and tell men. I would go and share that I'm not here to be the Mr. Politician and persuade you in that manner. No, but I am to plead on God's behalf. That doesn't mean I have to make myself look like a fool. That doesn't mean I have to make people hate me. In love, my job is to go and to do the best that I can to persuade men of their need of a Savior. Of their need of understanding, wow, I am a sinner So as we go in with all of these different things this morning, looking at the ministry that is placed before us, the ministry of of what this says, that ministry of reconciliation, and also that of an ambassador, let's look a little bit this morning in just a few points, what God's Word shares with us, how we should be on mission with our story. The first point is this, the love of God. If we go to verse number 14, in verses verses 14 through 16, it says this, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. I'm going to just stop it there. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on just the, the love of Christ. But here's what this passage says. If there should be something in my life that causes me to go, that causes me to share, that causes me to to go and have a desire to bring people to Christ, that causes me to understand and recognize that I am in the business of reconciliation as a believer in Christ, it says right here, the love for the love of Christ constraineth me or constraineth us. The love of Christ has or should have such a hold upon our life that it's a control. The love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ puts pressure on us which should create an action. Here's what is mind-blowing to me every time I read and every time I think of these types of things. Is... It's not that I love him so much, but that he loves me so much. This is foreign, I think, to some of us, to most of us. I do it because I love him. No, I loved him because he first loved me. 
His love is so constraining. His love is so abounding. His love is so controlling of me that in that love I have nothing else but to give back. And what is that? The love of Him that dominates and motivates me to do the work of Christ, that work being what we've talked about, the ministry of reconciliation. He loved us. He loved me. And you can say this and you can put your own there, but He loved me, Aaron Flanagan. While I was yet a sinner, He died for me. The love of God sent His Son to die, that all might die. See, when I gave my life to Christ, I died with Him that I would live. When He died, I died with Him in Christ that what that I might live, that He would live through me. And as we go through and as we look at these things, for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. At the heart of salvation, God's wrath against sin required death. Jesus took that wrath and died in the sinner's place. He took away God's wrath and satisfied God's justice We'll get into that a little bit more at the end, that the substitution that God paid for us. But it is this love that should propel us. It is that love that, con- that should control us, that should motivate us to serve and to share our story. It is that love that wasn't just for me, but for all who would give their lives to Him. To Paul, the gospel was bound in the, in the fact that the gospel was for a sinner such as himself. I don't know where you sit this morning. Paul grasped so much the love of Christ because of who he was and where he was and how God turned his life around and enabled him to do what he was able to do. Paul said he was what? The chiefest of sinners. See, I think sometimes in my own life, my problem is I don't look at myself, I don't see myself as the chiefest of sinners. I see myself as okay. The reality is, I'm not okay. Our problem in the United States of America, as a, as a group, as a, as, a, as a church as a whole, we see ourselves as okay. We're not okay. Paul looked at himself and he said, wow, I am the chiefest of sinners. The gospel of Jesus Christ constrained him to the point that he looked at himself and said, holy cow, I was on the way. My goal would have been to kill Jesus myself. That was his goal. When God changed everything about him. The love of Christ should cause us to be in the ministry of reconciliation. The love of God also, the next point would be, it would propel us to action. One of the, as I was reading this, this was just something that I just loved maybe as much as anything, but it says in 14 and 15, I'm just going to jump to 15 because I just read it, and that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we Him no more. Here's basically what we look at, 14 through 16, really in a nutshell, as my, the point is that it would propel us to action. It was the love of God that caused Paul to never look at another person in the same manner. We would regard no one in the flesh. Paul said in this passage of Scripture that after God, the love of Christ constrained him 
In verse 14, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all. He, he goes on and he makes reference that because of the love of God, the constraining on Paul's life, he could no longer look at a person as a man in the flesh. He looked at them as a soul being either eternally in heaven or eternally in hell. Now, Paul may have been able to look at people maybe a little differently than we do. Paul's entire being up until the point of knowing Jesus Christ was what? He looked at somebody and judged, are you righteous enough according to the law? And if he thought you weren't or you were or you were too much this or too much that, you needed to be killed. Jesus was not good enough according to Paul based on his judgment and based on the law that he was upholding and what he was doing as a man. So when God constrained him, when the love of Christ came upon Paul, and when Paul began to see that, he no longer could look at man and judge men the way that he once did. It hit him in a whole different light. When I was reading and studying that, the thing that came out at me was, wow, Paul did nothing but judge people. Paul did nothing but judge people based on whether they were upholding the law the way that they were supposed to. According to him, Jesus himself did not uphold the law the way that he was supposed to. They wanted to kill Jesus. Why? Because he healed on the Sabbath. Or because he did this or that on the Sabbath. He didn't uphold the law the way that he was supposed to. Paul says, when I understand when the law when the the love of Christ has constrained me I can no longer look at people through my own eyes I I I look at people now because of the soul that is inside of them see our natural being is I don't like you because I don't care for your political point of view you and I, we don't, really dis, we don't really agree. We don't hit on all cylinders because you have this belief and I have this belief. You're a Democrat, I'm a Republican. You're a this, I'm a that. White, black, green, yellow, red, whatever it would be, young and old and all of the different things, where you live, where you don't live, how much money you have, how much you don't have. We look at people, we judge them, we put them in a box and we say, well, this is who they are. Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, no more. I now look because of the love of God, because of the constraint that God's love put on me. I can no longer look at you as man in flesh. I look at you because you are either a man or a woman on your way to heaven or on your way to hell. And I must act upon what God has called me to be, which is a minister of reconciliation as an ambassador put here on this earth to do what I'm called to do. I've never really said this publicly. One of my goals and one of my dreams as a pastor of Oasis Baptist Church is to have a multicultural, multi-generational church. I want youngins and I want old. I want black and I want white. I want all these things. Why? Because God desires to have a church of people that just love Christ. I don't ever want somebody to walk through our doors, walk through my door at home, see me on the street and think, wow, eh, he's, he's, he's looking at me and he judges me based on any of these things. It's going to happen because people are people. But when people walk through the doors of Oasis Baptist Church, they should feel the love of Christ. They should see it in our actions. To me, it's something to walk around here and look at people that are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s sitting beside people that are in their 20s and teens. To me, it's something to to scan the room and, and to see people from all different cultures. 
And as I look at God's word, and if I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but if I look at this, this passage of scripture, I can no longer look at people as, as of flesh. I can no longer look at you as white or black or brown or whatever it is. I can no longer look at you as Democrat or Republican. I can no longer look at you in any of those things. I look at you. Why? Because you are a man, you are a woman who is in need of reconciliation with Jesus Christ. That is what our job is to be. Think about this quote as we go to our next point. Too often we have turned away our mission field, or we have turned our mission field into our enemy because we don't like their point of view. Too often we have turned our mission field into our enemy because we don't like their point of view. How incredible is that? We get in fights on Facebook because of someone's political stance. And we have completely lost our opportunity to love somebody. There's one thing that I try very, very, very hard to do. Is not respond and get in engagements of some dumb conversation on Facebook. There's many times that I desire, I want to. I look at this and I'm going, are you kidding me? Who says this? But here's what we do. When we open our mouths or text or type, whatever it is that we're doing through Facebook, we have created an enemy of the person that we're trying to reach for the cause of Christ. Oh no, I'm just trying to love them and engage them in a healthy conversation. No, it doesn't ever happen that way. That's just one simple note. Of the thought or that point. We make an enemy out of the mission field that we're supposed to reach. I'm not saying that I can't disagree or we shouldn't disagree. I get the fact that we live in a politically correct society and 90% of what I just said has hurt somebody's feelings. I, I get that. I'm well aware of the fact of all of those things. We can't say that you're bad because the guy that killed somebody down the street, we're like, that's a bad guy. No, he's not a bad guy. He's just, and we can create something. I get the culture that we live in. But we can't, we can't make an enemy out of the mission field that's outside of our doors. We can't. I can stand up for right without hurting and being a jerk. I can do that. I also understand that 90% of the time when I deal in truth, God's word, that it really hurts someone's feelings when they don't want to hear it. But how we do those things goes a long way. Paul says, when I am constrained by the love of God, I no longer look at men as men of flesh. I look at men through the lens of God, through the, the, the spirit, the soul of a man. We have to do the same thing as the love of God pulls on us. It should propel us into action. The love of God is the source of reconciliation. The next point is, and 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Our job, our ministry is that of reconciliation isn't ours at all. Wait, you just told me your job is to do the ministry of reconciliation. Now you just said it's not even your job. No, it's not. Here's my job. When I engage Caleb in this conversation, you don't have to sit up, I'm sorry. When I engage Caleb in the conversation and we're talking, my job is simply to share with him the love of Christ. My job is not actually reconciling him to God. 
The reconciliation is not of me. It's not on me. It's not on my shoulders. It's not on your shoulders. Don't tell me I'm afraid to share the gospel of Christ. I don't know enough. I can't. I can't. I this or that. It's not on you. You don't have to do that. God does all of that. I have to be available. My job is to simply walk out of my whatever zone that I'm in and say, Hey, Caleb, how are you? What is that conversation? Where that goes? I don't know. But my job is simply to be available to share Jesus with him. God does everything else. We might stand here and we could, we could shout and scream, man, we've seen 5,000 people come to Jesus this last year. Whatever it would be, here's the reality. We were fortunate enough to open the door. God did a whole lot of work. It like makes me, my skin crawl when I hear somebody say, I saved somebody. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Now, sometimes it's just a kid or it's somebody, they really don't understand it. But when it's, no, I say, no, you didn't save anything. God does the work. Our job is to be open and available. He designed reconciliation. He designed the means of reconciliation. All the way back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, they got kicked out of the garden, and what did they do? They shed some blood. All throughout the Old Testament, there was shedding of blood. Then Jesus Christ comes as an infant. We'll celebrate in just a few weeks the the birth of Christ. He came, why? To finally pay the ultimate price that there should be no more blood that would be shed for the remission of sins. Jesus Christ came. He died. He paid the sacrifice. He created a way for reconciliation. He designed it. He does the work. He does all those things. My job is to be an ambassador. My job is to share. My job is to be obedient. My job is to be open. That's it. Why? Because I love God? No, because he loves me and he's constrained me to the place that I can't do anything else but love on people. And in the process, God does the work of seeing souls come to know him. And in the process, I get to be a part of something really, really, really cool that I have no no reason at all that I should be a part of. There is nothing in me that has the anything to open up God's word and teach. He allows me to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. That he designed, that he does. What does it say? Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things become new and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself. He does the reconciling. But yet he says just thereafter, by Jesus, reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the opportunity to be a part of his work. We go through all of this stuff. God is the savior of all men. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 10, For wherefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. God is a Savior. God is the one that does that work. This is just an awesome thought, phrase, we don't have to convince God to save. We have to convince the sinner to receive. Our job is to go. Our job is to share. It is to tell. It is to do our part of the ministry of reconciliation. How then does this happen? The reconciliation by the act of forgiveness. As we continue in the passage, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation, not imputing their trespasses unto them, not counting their sins against them. 
How does this happen? By the act of forgiveness of God. That when I came, when God tugged on my heart as a child and I gave myself to the Lord and God didn't count those trespasses against me. God covered that with the blood of Jesus Christ because I gave it back. God, here it is. Here's my sins. Here, forgive me. I need a Savior. I recognize my need. And here it is. He said, Aaron, it's covered. By the act of forgiveness, by the shedding of blood. We must go and share the need of salvation. We must go and let people know that they, their sin can be forgiven. That God desires to not count those trespasses against them. Let me encourage you with this. Maybe it's not encouraging, I don't know. But so many times, I think in our lives as believers, we want to share Christ with somebody. And we try to make it sound so good. It is good. I'm not, I'm not discrediting that. But we like to say, man, if you come to know Jesus, your, your marriage is going to be healed. And, and you're going to get this. And, and you're going to be blessed with this. And you're going you're gonna to receive this. And you're going to receive that. And you're going you're gonna to have. You're going you're gonna to see all this really cool stuff. And then people come, oh, man, I need that. And they give themselves to Jesus. They give themselves to Jesus. And then within the next month and the next six months and the next year, it's been the worst that they've ever had it. And they're like, hold on, you told me when I come to Jesus, I'm going to have all this stuff and these blessings and all these things. Here's what I want to tell you. This may or may not work, but here's the reality. When we talk to somebody about salvation, what are we after? It's not what do you get, this great life or all of these things. It is, it is really this. It's this. God is willing to erase your sin debt. Are you interested in full and complete forgiveness of your sins forever? That's it. When I'm talking to Caleb, here's what I'm after. Here's the deal. Caleb, are you in a place where you want your sins completely covered forever? That's the only thing that we're really after. Because God didn't promise Caleb a renewed marriage. God would desire that. God didn't promise Caleb riches. God didn't promise Caleb health. God didn't promise Caleb anything except for forgiveness of sin that we would one day walk with him in glory. That's really it. So when we go and we have a desire to share Christ with somebody, it's not about, hey, here's the things. I want to, we try to make it look and sound so good because of our culture. No, here's the problem. You are in sin, and God wants to cover all of that. Now, I will promise you this. You get that stuff right, I will promise you blessing. I won't promise you what kind of blessings, but I will promise you blessing. Your health may not get better. Your marriage may not get fixed. You may still lose the house. You may still lose the job. You may not have all of the blessings that we like to think of blessings. But I promise you, when you get your sin covered, and you get the sin dealt with, you will have a peace of God that you've never had before. I promise you, there will be blessings. Guaranteed, mark my word, whatever you want to come back with, you can come back with that one. Because that's a promise of God. Paul was in misery almost his entire Christian life. But he loved God. He served. Philippians is all about joy while he's in prison writing it. Over and over and over. 
The act of forgiveness, the obedience of faith in verse number 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. God is making appeal through us. God is using you and I, sending you and I on a mission to implore, to appeal to the lost sinner to be reconciled by faith. Again, this isn't us going to to beg on our hands and knees, oh, you need to come to Jesus. No, that's not really what that's talking about. That may take place at home in your bedroom while you're praying for that person to come to Christ. My job is to, to plead in love. God would reveal the sin of man that he would desire to give back. And lastly, this morning is the work of substitution in verse 21. It says, for, as, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. B.B. Warfield said this. He said that this is the heart of the heart of the heart of the gospel. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I pray as we come to a conclusion this morning, if you know Christ as your Savior, I don't know if you sit here having been and being on fire for God today. Maybe you sit here just having gone to church. You've been at church for the last however long you've been. I've just, I just attend church, and I'm doing okay, and, and God's a good God, and I just kind of go through my deal, and I'm attending church. Maybe you're just kind of that mediocre. Maybe you're on the back end of that, and you're really every day with God is a fight. I'm sick and tired of this thing. I can't handle God. This, this stuff is, I'm done. Let me encourage you with this. That this last sentence or this last verse would be one that you never, ever, ever get over. That for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Let me do the same thing. Let me plead with you that sit here this morning and maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you haven't given your life to Christ. Let me just share with you what this is. See, you and I as people are sinners. We are lost in need of a Savior. When we come to a place and we recognize that and we give our lives to God, Jesus acts on forgiveness and He gives us that. But as, as we sit here, here is exactly what he did, basically. He took, when Jesus Christ was on the cross, he looked at Jesus Christ as if that was Aaron Flanagan. Put your name there. Put yourself there. Jesus, God looked at, at Jesus because he cannot see sin. He saw sin. He saw anger. He saw hatred. He saw sin. He didn't look at Jesus as the righteous and the pure and the holy Jesus and God that was standing on the cross. He looked at that and he saw me, Aaron Flanagan. He says, I can... God treated Christ on the cross as if he were you and I. And he treats those who have died in him as if we were Christ. See, when I died with Christ, when I gave my life to Jesus and he forgave my sins and he gave me, he made me to be righteous. He enables me to be righteous. He gives me that. He now looks at me. With the pure holiness of Righteous. There's no part of me that is righteous. There is no part of me that is pure and holy before God. There is no part of me that is any of those things. But when Christ Jesus died on the cross, he took my sins and he made me to be righteous when I gave myself back to him.
when I died on that cross with you. I don't know what you think of that. I know in some regards that some of what I just said almost has to be done very carefully because I'm not Jesus. God doesn't look at me and think I'm Jesus. That's not what I was after by saying that. But he covers my sin. It says in 21, For he hath made him to be sin. He made Jesus to be sin for us. Though he knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. we wrap up this entire series this morning, that my story sends me on a mission. My story is to send me on a mission. The love of Christ constrains us or should constrain us to the point that I have a desire, that I understand that my ambassadorship here is that of working out that I am, as an ambassador, I am to do my part to reconcile, to, to share, to love, to go out, to be in the ministry of reconciliation. And here's where your story comes in. He uses us to be a part of that ministry. Me with all my baggage. Me with the sin that I have committed. Me with the anger. Me with the hurt. Me with the lack of forgiveness. Me with whatever those things are. When I've given myself to Christ, my story is no longer my story. It becomes His story. I now have been challenged. I have been urged. I have been convicted to now because God's love constrains me so much to go. Because I no longer can see men as flesh and blood, but I look at people because of the spirit that's inside of them. I know that people need a Savior. My job is to now be the ambassador for Christ on this earth and to go out and do the job and do the ministry of reconciliation that He's called us to do. Church, My goal this morning, besides to have already been done, is that we as a church would grasp a hold of the reality of why we are here. The story that God has given to us is His story to be used out there. Your hurt is a ministry opportunity to somebody that's hurting. Your life is an opportunity to share that life with somebody else who's been in the same shoes that you've been in. But they need a Savior. But they need to see it through the lens of, of God. My job, not because I'm the pastor of Oasis Baptist Church, my job as a man of God, my job as a believer in Jesus Christ, is to say, here I am. I'm unworthy to be called into the ministry of reconciliation. But for whatever reason, God, you have chosen me to go. And here's my story. This is it. This is all I got, God. I have nothing else. These are the this is the one talent, these are the three talents. This is this is all I got. You know the past. You know the hurt. You know all of those things. 
All I have right now is here you go. My story is your story. Use it, God, how you would see fit. Use me to be a part of your ministry that maybe one in my lifetime would truly be reconciled to God. God, maybe it would be multiple people, tens, hundreds, thousands, I don't know. But God, here it is. This is my story. That is your story. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.